Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 29. We're reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Exodus 3, Leviticus 2 and 3, and Psalms 45. Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flocks to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Havites, and the Jezubites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what you have done to you, has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Havites, and Jebusites, and land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. 
After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Leviticus 2. When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. They are to pour olive oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest shall take a handful of the flour and oil, together with all the incense, and burn this as memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is most holy part of food offering presented to the Lord. If you bring a grain offering baked in an oven, it is to consist of the finest flour, either thick loaves made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in or thin loaves made without yeast and brushed with olive oil. If your grain offering is prepared on a griddle, it is to be made of the finest flour mixed with oil and without yeast. Crumble it and pour on it. It is a grain offering. If your grain offering is cooked in a pan, it is to be made of the finest flour and some olive oil. Bring the grain offering made of these things to the Lord. Present it to the priest who shall take it to the altar. He shall take out the memorial portion from the grain offering and burn it on the altar as a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is most holy part of the food offering presented to the Lord. Every grain offering you bring to the Lord must be made without yeast, for you are not to burn any yeast or honey in a food offering presented to the Lord. You may bring them to the Lord as an offering of the first fruits, but they are not to be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. If you bring a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, offer crushed heads of new grains roasted in the fire. Put oil and incense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest shall burn the memorial portion of the crushed grain and the oil together with all the incense as a food offering presented to the Lord. If your offering is a fellowship offering and you offer an animal from the herd, whether male or female, you are to present before the Lord an animal without defect. You are to lay your hand on the head of your offering and slaughter it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall splash the blood against the side of the altar. From the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord the internal organs, and all the fat that is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons are to burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering that is lying on the burning wood. It is a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If you offer an animal from the flock as a fellowship offering to the Lord, you are to offer a male or female without defect. If you offer a lamb, you are to present it before the Lord. Lay your hand on its head and slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's son shall splash its blood against the side of the altar. From the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord. Its fat, the entire fat tail cut off close to the backbone, the internal organs and all the fat that is connected to them. Both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as food offerings presented to the Lord. If your offering is a goat, you are to present it before the Lord. Lay your hand on its head and slaughter it in front of the tent of meetings. Then Aaron's son shall splash his blood against the side of the altar. From what you have offered, you are to present this food offering to the Lord. The internal organs and all the fat that is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering, a pleasing aroma, 
at the fat is the Lord's. This is the last ordinance for the generations to come. Where you live, you must not eat any fat or any blood. Psalms 45. My heart is stirred by a noble theme. As I recite my verses for the king, my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace, since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrow pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of offer. Listen. Daughters, and pay careful attention. Forget your people in your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favor. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. An embroidered garment she has led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her. Those brought to be with her, led in with joy and gladness. They enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. In the last story, Exodus 2, Moses was described by the shepherd's daughters as the Egyptian. And before that, we could tell that Moses was somehow, to some extent, identifying with the oppressed. Maybe not the Hebrews specifically, for we do not know how much information he knew about his real identity. Even though the narrator is telling us, I'm not sure it's made clear that he knew he was Hebrew. But we are getting the clear sense that he feels alienated and dislocated, unsure of who he is. And here in Exodus 3, God's identity and Moses' identity are explained together in an interwoven way. God calls Moses by name in Exodus 3 verse 4. And then in Exodus 3 verse 6, God says, I am the God of your father. Pause. In Exodus 2, the only thing we know of Moses' dad is that he is a man from the tribe of Levi who married a daughter of Levi. We actually never hear about him again. Did Moses ever know who his dad was? What must Moses be thinking? Then God continues by saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. These are the patriarchs of the Hebrew people who belong to God. Moses would know that story. It's so cool to think that our identity is tethered to our Creator's identity. Dr. Carmen Imes makes this beautiful case that if we want to know who we are and we have to learn more about whose we are. It's through him that we know who we are because our identities are intertwined, interwoven in this beautiful, intricate way. Moses' sense of dislocation is beginning to be resolved, yet the sense of being adrift or alienated may not be totally resolved um, right away. There's a process to being and becoming. Dr. Carmen Imes describes in her book, Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters, that a woman who is first pregnant may be called a mother or a mother-to-be, but may not feel like one yet. 
There's this in-between stage. Sometimes in consumer behavior, we call it this liminal stage, right? It's from social psychology to identify this identity formation process, particularly when transformation is taking place. Note, God revealed himself to Moses at Horeb, which is actually the same place as Mount Sinai, where he will reveal himself to the people of Israel, as he will be commissioning and equipping them. And they, too, will struggle to relinquish their past identity as slaves with the people of God who's calling them to become this new nation of Israelites. I feel like our culture puts this unbearable responsibility on all people, but maybe particularly young people, to know their identities and market it well to others. But we don't teach them quite as well about whose they are and who they belong to. If they knew this, I think it becomes easier and clearer to start from, in marketing, we call it a family umbrella or corporate brand, as a child of God, and then consider how our sub-brands will express the uniqueness of us into our current situations. Our place, our dignity, our belonging in this story is inherited, and our portion of power and authority are given to us already by God. Now, it's about how to live into it and how to influence others in this genuine presence, invitation, and show and tell about the things we are and that we love, which are and will always be tethered back to our identity in Him. If a sub-brand is connected to the family brand, it is all, all the more effective. However, in contrast, it detracts from the value of both if the sub-brand contradicts the family brand. Our identities are bound, and the process of understanding it and representing it well in the world takes learning and leaning into our relationship with the Lord. Another cool aspect of the story today, the burning bush, where the bush is on fire, but it doesn't consume the bush. It's this really theologically interesting thing to me. The Eastern Orthodox often illustrates this burning bush with Mary and baby Jesus from the New Testament. We haven't read that yet. And within it, because they see this foreshadowing to Mary as the bush because she's human flesh and the Spirit of God often depicted the Holy Spirit as fire. And she carries baby Jesus, but she isn't consumed by all of his glory. Something so holy and sacred and it doesn't consume or kill her. Usually we think of fire like the sun, which gives light and warmth as a good thing. But we know if we get too close, it will kill us. The fire lives on what we otherwise would think would burn up kindling, and the Spirit of God is within Mary, but they do not die or burn up. This is such an interesting thing, because later we're going to learn how we become this temple for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So there's really cool foreshadowing happening here. God does call call us just as we are in whatever condition we are in, and he's calling us, commissioning us into his story. In this case, Moses is initially called into a rescue mission, and then he is called to be and become an individual and a group of a kingdom of priests, which we learn more about through Leviticus. One quick note, Moses seemed gung-ho for God to rescue the Israelites from Pharaoh, but when Moses realized that he was a part of it, he asked God, who am I that I should go? He feels unqualified, it seems. Even though God may have pointed Moses to his hybrid life experience, his desire for justice, and his ability to survive in the wilderness, God just said to his response, I will be with you. So when he asked, who am I? God said, I will be with you. I will be the sign to you and a sign to others that I sent you. And after you bring the others out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. So to the question, who am I? God answers, I will be with you. He will be a part of our transformation. He will be a part of our exile. He will be a part of the rescue mission, and he will respond. 
Then Moses challenges the I, in air quotes, and I will be with you. And God says, I will be whoever I will be. I will be, and then he says that he is, in the NIV it says the Lord, but in Hebrew it says um, Y-H-W-H pronounced Yahweh. This is his name in perpetuity, invoked from generation to generation. Also something interesting about Yahweh is how scholars and rabbis have noted that the letters, when said out loud, represent breathing sounds or aspirational consonants. For example, a natural vocal inhalation sounds like Yah, and an exhalation sounds like way, Yahweh. Isn't that cool to think that every time we're breathing, we're announcing his name? It's so cool. The story of Leviticus is a way of reminding us of where the problem in our story starts, slavery, alienation, and dislocation from him. Leviticus is a chiasm, which is a literary tool or device, particularly used in ancient Hebrew, which is a sequence of ideas presented and then repeated in a reverse or symmetrical sort of order and way. The first part of Leviticus is where it's talking about our personal relationship to God, our right relationship, approaching and dealing with our fear of the relationship. For example, how many times have we in our own lives known we needed to make our hearts right with God, but we're like, ah, I'm not quite ready yet. I'm not good enough. Maybe later. And God is saying, come now and bring one animal, bring what you have for the whole nation. Um, What we're going to be noting in this atonement is that one animal is slaughtered in the morning and evening for all of them, and that we see this foreshadowing to Jesus. Marty Solomon calls this grace 1,500 years before the grace incarnate in Jesus Christ, the one and only sacrifice that um, is atonement for all of us. This language used in atonement is similar to a wedding where God brings an atonement gift by God to us in a wedding. And we are called to show up with the best of what we have, which is what you want to give someone that you love, right? And then he will take our sins and make them no more. This ritual of redemption is a reminder of what he has done and will do through Jesus in the New Testament. Why this ritual? What's next? The purpose. God wants to make us a kingdom of priests. As Marty Solomon says, not a kingdom with a priest, but a kingdom of priests. Leviticus is the brand book or the guidebook on how to be a kingdom of priests. Now to be differentiated and comparative respectively to the other nations around God's character so that he can be shown. Leviticus 1 and 2 through 7 is all about atonement and how we bring one sacrifice for all of us. And this is the foreshadowing of Jesus so that we can get to the part about us representing him and living out the purpose that he ultimately wanted for us from the very beginning. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.